Second John this evening. Second John. As believers, we are called to love other people. And the question I want to put before you is, how much should we love people? How far should we go in showing love to other people? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. If that's the case, if we should show love in this way, then how could we ever break fellowship with another believer? Or how could we ever break fellowship with another church if we are to show them love? How could there be times where we discipline a person out of our church? How loving could that be? I mean, shouldn't we just love everyone and get along? Second John is the shortest book in the New Testament. And it will help shed light on how we show genuine love to other people. What John does here in this second letter of his is to give the boundaries of what love is. And so let's read this short letter. We'll go through the entire book this evening and um, see what God has for us. Second John chapter 1, verse 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, And not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds." Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Here in this book, John teaches us that we must be hospitable to other believers, but also to take a stand against false teaching and teachers, I would suggest. We must be hospitable to other believers and take a stand against false teaching and teachers. John begins with his opening greeting in verses 1-3. through He tells who he is, the very first two words, the elder. He doesn't explicitly state his name, but we know this is the Apostle John for many reasons. But one is John was living uh, into the late first century. He was the Apostle, obviously, the disciple of Jesus Christ. And he was the last living apostle. He was probably the church at this, the pastor of the church at Ephesus at this time. 
And um, he lives until about A.D. 95. So he's an older man when he writes this, and so it would make sense for him to say, the elder. Uh, that is, I am the elder that is writing to you. Elder is simply another way to call a pastor um, in the New Testament. And so he's probably writing this around the same time, a little bit after 1 John and 3 John. So all these books or letters are sent out probably around the same time. And John is writing them to, um, to help teach believers that they must be hospitable to other believers and also stand against false teaching and teachers. Notice the recipient in verse 1, the elder to the chosen lady and her children. Some people would suggest that this is a metaphor. That is, the lady is a metaphor for the church. You've heard uh, the church referred to as a feminine because uh, a feminine noun. That is because the word in the Greek language is a feminine word, um, and so some people say, you know, similar to how we refer to countries, that we refer to America as as a her. Um, so it'd be similar to that, that the church is a her, and so that, that's why he calls here uh, the lady, and to her chosen children would be the members of the church. But I don't think we need to stretch it that far. Um, I think this lady that he's writing to is a chosen believer. She's a, she's a believer in Jesus Christ, and she, she is a sister of a former member of his. Look at verse 13. At the end, he gives this final greeting. The, chose, the children of your chosen sister greet you. Okay, so apparently there was a member at John's church who was her sister, and he's writing to this, to this woman to encourage her about hospitality and guarding against false teaching. Now, the reason he had to write this letter was because during the first century, the message of Christ was being spread, remember, throughout all the regions of the earth and and the way that it was spread was that itinerant preachers would go from town to town and preach the gospel to different areas, see a church started, then move on to another area, and so on. And so these itinerant preachers would need hospitality when they would go. They would often come like the disciples did in the gospels. They would often come with no goods. They would have nothing to offer. They would, they would uh, not have a lot of resources. And so they needed believers in the area to help uh, to help maintain their their uh, living and be able to provide things for their trip, give give them uh, food and provisions for their travel. But as you can imagine, as the gospel is being spread, so is false teaching, right? So false teachers see these itinerant pastors going around from town to town, getting all the support, and they say, "Well, we could do the same thing." So they do the same sort of thing, and they also want to receive hospitality from. The people, and of course, these believers were wanting to accommodate them. And so John is writing his this second letter to this well-known lady and her children, and he's telling them to watch out for these false teachers. Don't be motivated by blind love. That I need to love all people. I need to love particularly these ones who are spreading the message. He's saying, make sure you know what exactly they are teaching. You can't just give provision or hospitality to simply anyone. You see John's love for this family at the end of verse 1. He says, "...whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth." Okay, so this is not a girlfriend or a um, person that, like that for John. 
And uh, the reason I say that is because this love is not exclusive. It's not just for this woman. It's for her and her family. Okay, that's why it says, whom I love in the truth. He's talking about the whole family. It's also not personal. He's saying, not just I, right? That's what it says at the end of verse 1. But also, all who know the truth. So this isn't just a personal love that I have between me and this lady and her family, maybe. It's also all the people who know the truth. We also love you. And then I would suggest that it's not a romantic love because of the qualifying phrase that he has there in the middle of the verse, in truth. He says, I love you in truth, is what he's saying. So he's saying that the real reason that I have love for you is because you are within the bounds of truth. And so I can, I can uh, share a, a, um, a genuine respect and uh, a cordial relationship with you. So the basis of their love is their unity around the truth. Verse 2 gives us the, somewhat of the purpose of John's letter. For the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever. John's writing, remember, to help her to guard against these false teachers. And so he, he's saying that you've got to be careful about them trying to make converts and about them trying to take advantage of your hospitality. I mean, there are people out here who, out there who will take advantage of your generosity, and so be careful. John was writing to show that truth must always govern our love. That genuine love is a discerning love. It's not uh, sloppy in any way. It always points people to God. And so that means that when error creeps in, Genuine love is willing to stand up for the truth. Okay, So that means that, trump, that truth trumps love. Truth is more important than love. Okay, We, we ultimately should be loving other people, but, but truth is what should be the boundaries for our love. Notice the greeting there in verse 3. Grace mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Saying that it will be uh, with us, verse 3, that this grace, mercy, and peace, that, that these things will be with us forever. And so I commend you and I, and I pray for God's grace and mercy and peace to come upon you. And he specifically points out that it's from God the Father and the Son of the Father. Both the Father and the Son. Both God the Father and, and Jesus Christ. That this, love, this grace, mercy, and peace will come from them. And I think he points that out because of what we'll see in verse 7. Look down there for a second. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus as coming in the flesh. So we get an indication of what these false teachers are teaching. They're teaching that Jesus Christ really didn't come into the flesh. He really was not incarnated. There wasn't God in human flesh. And so what John is pointing to in verse 3 is he's kind of making a little bit of a, a, a remark against these pre-Gnostics who denied that Jesus was the Son of God. So he begins his letter with the greeting, but then he continues in verses 4 through 6 by giving a commendation for her hospitality. So he says hello in the first part of the greeting and says why he's writing a little bit. And then in verses 4 through 6, he says, now, here's what I want to commend you for. This was a standard style of writing that they would begin with the greeting, com- commendation, and then perhaps a warning. 
or a charge, and then conclude with the following greeting, especially with the shorter letters. This is how they are structured. John begins with a commendation and an exhortation. He's saying, you have been doing well, verses 4 through 6, but be careful, verses 5 through 11. This is how it, it is structured. Verse 4 talks of her perseverance. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. John had reportedly, or had heard through reports of her faithfulness, that she had been doing well spiritually that she and her children were following in the truth. And so uh, John is, is happy to commend her in that way. And so we should see that, that truth is not simply to be believed, but it is to be lived. And that's what this lady really held out for an example for all people. She wasn't simply that just knew the truth, knew sound doctrine, but she actually lived it out. And this is what John commends her for. And so we should also make it a habit to obey the truth, that we should live in a manner pleasing to God. Look at the next book in your Bible, 3 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is John writing again. This time he's writing to a friend of his named Gaius, verse 5. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. He's saying to Gaius that these people, these itinerant missionaries, pastors who are coming through, you will do well to send them on the way in a manner worthy of God. This is how this lady in Second John is living. She's living in a manner that's worthy of God. And so John commends her for that. And he also reminds her to continue to show love in verses 5 and 6. Um, verse 5 reads, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So in his commendation, verses 4 through 6, John begins with the truth. He's saying, You have been persevering in faithfulness. And I think he does this purposefully in order to show that our love must come from within the boundaries of truth. Okay? He begins with his greeting by saying, I love you in the boundaries of truth because you obey the truth. You live the truth. You love the truth. I love you for that very fact. I have the same unity as you do. We, uh, we see this connection if we read verses 4 through 6 together, that, that if we... That, that he says, I was glad that you were walking in the truth. Now what I want to commend you for, or I want to urge you to continue to do, is to love in the truth. Love according to the commandment. And this is the commandment that you've been given. Verse 6. So John defines how love should be uh, distinguished, or, or what are the boundaries of love. He does it for us in verse 6. And this is love that we walk according to His commandments. You see, love is not here an emotion or a sentiment primarily. It may include that, but ultimately, love is a chosen, cho a, a chosen action. John says that those who stay within the bounds of Christ's commands, those who are obeying His commands, are the ones to be loved. Those are the ones who receive God's love and those who are the ones 
that should receive our love. So that means that genuine love is guarded or uh, guided by our obedience. It's governed by our, our obedience or their obedience. If we truly love one another, then we will want them to we want to see them obey God's commands. Right? We want to see them not murder or we want to see them not steal or tell the truth. And genuine love should have within it the boundary of God's commandments. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. The language that John uses here in 2 John is very similar to what he had written in 1 John to the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Now, verse 2, notice the, the order of the words that John gives to us there. Let's read that again. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. Now, we would expect for John to reverse those things. Why do we need proof that we love other believers? Wouldn't it be the proof that you love God is that you love other believers? John has said that in other places. You want to say, you want to say that you love God and you don't love your brother? How can you love God whom you haven't seen and love your brother who, when you don't love your brother who you have seen? Okay, so he, there is that connection there that we can have assurance of our salvation or our love for God based on our love for believers. But here, John reverses it. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God. How? If we love God and we love His commandments. I mean, why do we need proof that we love other believers? Isn't it obvious if we love other believers or not? Why, is John, why does John put it in these terms? I think John is helping describe for us what true love for other believers looks like. You see, we can say that we love other believers, but he's saying, here's how you know if it really is a true, genuine, discerning type of love, which is the love that God is looking for. He's saying love for believers has to be governed by those second two things. Look at verse 2 again. By this we know... We love the children of God. How do we know we love other believers? Well, when we love God and we observe His commandments. Our love for believers is governed by our love for God and our obedience to the commandments of God. Notice the expression of our love in verse 3. For this is love. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Yeah, the first word, therefore, points us back to verse 2. So it continues the chain. Okay, we need to find out if we love other believers by looking at ourselves, seeing if we love God and we obey His commands. Why? Because this is the love of God. Love of God is expressed in obedience to God. And if we're obeying the commands of God, we should recognize that His commandments are not burdensome. They're not weighing us down in the sense that that we would actually find more joy in, in not obeying them. John is saying, let me further explain what the love of God looks like. 
So let me try to help you to understand the, the distinction here that, that John is saying, both in Second John, I think, and also here, that we need to have bound, the boundaries of truth govern our love for other believers. Because here in 1 John 5, he says, if you love other believers, then you will love God and you will obey His commands. Let's imagine, okay, just hypothetically, that my children uh, defiantly disobeyed me. Hypothetical. Okay, I came home and found out that they had done something explicitly against what I had told them to do. Now, my response could be, well, I want to show love to them. And so I will let it go. I won't do anything about it. I told them to do this. They did not do that. I want to show love to them, so I'm not going to do anything to them. Now, I ask you, would that be the most loving response that I could have in that situation? To simply let it go. They defiantly disobeyed me, and I let it go. No, that would not be a loving response. It would be, the loving response would be to discipline them. Because Proverbs makes it clear that those who spare the rod hate the child. Okay, you want to hate your child, you want to not show love to your child, then spare the rod. Let them be defiantly disobedient. Okay, so now I can say all I want to other people that I love my children. But what John is saying is, you don't love your children if you're not loving God and you're not obeying His commands. If I have an explicit command to discipline my children when they disobey me, then I have dropped the ball. I don't love my children. Proverbs says, I hate my children. Right? So now do you see the distinction here, what, what John is saying? Don't say that you love other believers if you're not obeying the commands of God. By this, we know we have love for our children, we could say, in verse five, chapter 5, verse 2, that we keep God's commandments when it comes to raising our children. Do you see? There is no love in ignoring God's commandments. I can't say that I love other people when I'm ignoring God's commandments. Because ultimately what we're saying is, God, I think it's more loving for me to reject your command and link up with this other believer. I'm going to reject your command, what you say about my relationship to them, and I'm just going to do it my way. So here's what John is saying in chapter 5 and then Second John chapter 1. He says you can't talk about a horizontal love for other people when you leave God out of the equation. You don't love other believers if God's not in the picture. In other words, the basis of our love for others is grounded in the truth. You see? We say we love other believers, but the true test of, of love is, is whether or not we are within the boundary of what God has commanded us to do. All right, so now this is important because of verses 7 through 11. Turn back to 2 John. Why is it so important that our love be grounded in the truth or be grounded in the commandments of God? Why is it so important? And the answer comes in verses 7 through 11, because there are deceivers out there. There's a warning here against hospitality towards deceivers, verse 7. 
For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Okay, again, we have this word beginning our verse 4. Okay, so it's pointing back to what we just talked about. The, your love for other believers is very important and how you govern who you are interacting with is very important for or because... Why is it important? Because there are deceivers out there. Okay, you're going to be uh, practicing hospitality. He's talking to this chosen lady and her family. You're going to be practicing hospitality to all these itinerant pastors who are coming in the area. And what's going to happen is there will be occasion when deceivers will come in. And so you need to be careful that your love does not go outside the bounds of truth. Because there are actually people who will want to receive your hospitality who have actually denied the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that He has come in the flesh. That's what the middle of the verse says. And who is this type of person? They are a deceiver and an antichrist. Not the antichrist like you're thinking perhaps that's going to come, um, but it is, a, I would say, an antichrist. There were many people in that day um, that were denying the incarnation and... And what we need to obviously acknowledge is that the Scriptures do say that Jesus came in the flesh. That Jesus did come in the flesh. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says that for in Him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. I don't think there's a better proof text for uh, Jesus being really human. All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form in the person of Jesus Christ. So, Jesus did come in the flesh, and for someone to deny that core fundamental truth of the faith is actually to, to go outside the boundaries of the truth and therefore has to go outside of the way that we show love to them. So, John's point in identifying these people is don't be deceived by the deceivers. The primary thing that we be, should be concerned about is the truth that the truth is maintained and upheld, that purity and doctrine is there, and that should determine the boundaries of whom we love. See the seriousness of this warning at the end of the verse, that this is the deceiver and the antichrist. Okay, We don't want to gloss over or condone their actions. Why would we ever want to do that? Say, oh yeah, what you're doing is okay. So here, here's some money, here's some provisions for your trip. I'll give you some food to make sure you make it on your way. Why would we ever want to condone that, John is saying. I mean, what's at stake here is that these men, these teachers are attacking God's purposes. And they really don't love the truth. So why show love to them? Now we have a warning in verses 8 through 11, I should say. Instead of why show love to them, maybe a better word would be why show hospitality to them. Because I'll, I'll talk about this later, but really the best way that we can show love to people is by pointing them to God. And giving them, being hospitable to them is not pointing them to God, a false teacher. Being hospitable to a false teacher is actually pointing them away from God. We're saying it's okay. Okay, so probably a better way to put that is is that uh, we don't want to show hospitality to them. The warning, verse 8. First of all, we see that he's, John says to this lady, don't lose your rewards. 
Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Okay. When he says that you don't lose what you're accomplished, he's not talking about losing her salvation. And I know that because of verses 1 and 2. Okay, who does, who does he write this to? Okay, just any, any lady here? No, to the chosen lady. That has to do with, with a person who is believing. And if you go on, you read that verse 2, that she abides, that the truth abides in us and will be with us forever. So John is saying, okay, I, I acknowledge that you are a believer, that you are a chosen child of God. And that the truth abides in you just as it does in me, and it will forever. So he's saying you are a believer. So when we come to verse 8, he's not talking about losing her salvation. Instead, we see at the end of the verse that he's talking about her losing her reward. Right? As believers, we will get to the judgment seat and give, uh, we will uh, give an account for the way that we lived. And based on that account, based on how we live, the record of our books will be put before Christ. And based on that, we'll receive rewards or not. And so John is saying that I don't want you to lose the rewards when you stand there at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't want you to receive, notice the end of verse 8, a full reward. The things that I have accomplished in you up until this point. Perhaps John was her pastor. He likely was at some point. He says, I don't want you to lose those rewards. So, so don't give up now. Okay, Don't start uh, being a little bit sloppy in the way that you're showing your hospitality to other people. Don't sacrifice those future and eternal rewards at the altar of sloppy love. Okay, be very sincere about the truth and make sure that that is at the center of what you do. And that should ultimately guide your love. He warns them because of the tactics of the deceivers. Verse 9, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Okay, saying, if they go too far, what does he mean there? They go too far. Is he talking about okay whether or not there should be three services a week or four services a week? Okay, whether the pastor's talking about uh, paying the pastor full time or not? What, what is he talking about? He's talking about what he was just saying in verse seven. He's saying that if he goes too far in, in the fundamentals of the faith, and what did he say in verse 7 that these deceivers were doing? They were not acknowledging that Jesus had come in the flesh. So he's saying if a person believes that Jesus never came in the flesh, verse 9, he does not abide in the teaching of Christ and he does not have God. He is not a believer. So if he goes too far, he's actually gone ahead of or beyond what the Scriptures have taught. And if you go beyond what the Scriptures have taught and, and you have spoken where God has not spoken, then you've actually denied the apostolic faith. That's why Paul in other places said to the Galatian church, for example, in chapter 1, verse 9, if anyone gives to you another gospel other than the one that I have given to you, whether it be an angel from heaven or a great prophet or me, even if I turn from the faith and give you another gospel, don't accept it. That person ought to be accursed. 
But you need to accept the truth that was handed down from, to you and, and accept that as truth. And he's saying, if you go beyond, if a person goes beyond what the Scriptures teach, then they are rejecting the apostolic faith, the faith that was handed down by the apostles. So, to advance beyond what the Scriptures teach is actually uh, a desertion of the fundamentals. To start teaching and acknowledging where the Scriptures haven't spoken is actually to, to uh, desert the fundamentals of the faith. And so advancing beyond what the Scriptures teach is actually not progress, but it's apostasy. And so no matter how adamant this type of person is, John says in verse 9, he does not have God. He does not have God. So how, do, how should we love in the truth to those who do not abide in the teaching of Christ? Okay, if, if we as believers are called to love, and, Paul, and uh, John excuse me, is saying here that we need to make sure we have boundaries around whom we love or show hospitality, then how do we treat these people? Verses 10 and 11, John gives us the answer, and that is to separate from them. Separate from them. Verse 10, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Okay, so John is very explicit. Verses 4 through 6, Thank you for being so hospitable to the people, the pastors that have been coming through. But be careful for the deceivers who come by because if any of them do not hold to the truth, if they do not hold to the fundamentals of the faith, then you should not, look at verse 10 again, receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. Literally, it reads, stop receiving and stop giving a greeting. So stop being so sloppy in the way that you treat these people. Now, back to the original question. Then, then I thought we were supposed to love our enemies. How could we love our enemies if, if John now is saying that we can't even bring them into our house or give them a greeting? We treat them like an outcast. What kind of love is that? Well, what Paul is not, or excuse me, John is not saying here is he's not saying don't love unbelievers. He's not saying don't love unbelievers altogether because then, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10, you'd have to go out of the world, right? You'd have to be an alien, move to another planet. So you want to get outside of unbelievers altogether. This man truly is an unbeliever, but what he's saying is those who are false teachers those who are taking the fundamentals of the faith and twisting them or denying them altogether, those are the people that you're not supposed to give a greeting to or uh, to even allow them into your house. And so we learn an important principle here about Christian love. And that is that the basis of genuine love is truth. The basis of genuine love is truth. We're not called to universal acceptance of anyone who claims to be a believer. Okay? You say you're a believer, come on in. You're, you're my friend. The danger in loving whoever names the name of God is that we aid and abet those who are actually opposing God. Do you see? This is what this chosen lady was doing. 
saying, I want to be hospitable to everyone. And she was. But the problem is that John was saying, you've actually gone too far. You're being hospitable to our enemies, people who are enemies of, the, of God and actually opposing His work. There is no true love where truth is not the foundation of unity. If truth is not the center of what we do, it's not true love. And so what John is saying is this is not a prohibition to avoid entertaining people who disagree on minor matters. He's talking about the ones that are fundamental to destroying the very foundation of the faith. Okay, If they are denying the fundamental truths of the faith, then they should not be greeted or brought into your house. And the reason is that if we do this sort of thing, then we actually condone what they're doing. We, we, I mean, you think about it. She's actually given provisions for these people, right? So she's, in a way, investing into their work that is actually opposing God. Like she's writing a check to the enemies of God. Here you go. Have fun. Go, go do what you got to do. And John is saying that is not love at all. So don't show hospitality to them. And so we could say to John, well, John, that seems kind of harsh, right? Why don't you just treat them nicely? Why don't you be hospitable to these type of people? Maybe they need to see true love. But what John is saying is that is not true love. The truest form of love is the love that is guarded by, that is governed by the truth of God, the fundamental truth of God. And this is what he says in verse 11. For the one who gives him a greeting, notice, participates in his evil deeds. Hospitality to those people who are opposing God's truth is only going to spread heresy. And ultimately, what you're doing is you're condoning their action. And so when we contribute to false teaching by providing for these people or treating them as if nothing's wrong, is that we're actually providing a donation to what they're doing, which is against God. Now, John concludes his letter with these uh, plans to meet in verse 12 and then a closing greeting. We'll look at these quickly. Verse 12, Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. John says the way to have genuine joy, the way that your joy is made full, is to participate in genuine fellowship in the truth. And that's why I look forward to coming to you, because you have not denied the fundamentals of the truth. And so I'm looking forward to seeing you face to face. You see, many churches think that it's better to loosen up our standards, loosen up our doctrine so that we can be more accommodating, allow more people to come in. And so they do it all in the name of joy and happiness and inclusivism. But it actually backfires on them. And according to what John's saying in verse 12, is that it actually takes your joy away. Because he says the reason that we can have fellowship, the reason that we can have joy, is that because we all are unified around the truth. But when we cut down those walls of truth and the fundamentals of the faith, then what we start to do is we try to maybe bring more people in, but now our joy is, is taken away because they find their pleasure in something other than the fundamentals of what God has laid down for us. So instead of inclus inclusivism, the way to have joy is actually being more exclusive in the way that we 
uh, show hospitality to other people. John leaves us with a closing greeting or leaves this woman and her family by saying, the children of your chosen sister greet you. This chosen sister, as I said before, is probably a member at the Ephesian church at one time where John was the pastor. But she probably now has died. Notice the wording there. The children of your chosen sister. He doesn't say that the chosen sister greets you. So it's likely that she's already died, that she was a faithful member of the church. She's now died. But now the nieces and nephews of the recipient of the letter in verse 1, this chosen lady, the nieces and nephews send her and her family the greetings. And so that's uh, probably what's going on there. They're they're saying uh, hello to their aunt through this letter that John wrote. Let me conclude with two points of application for us. And I think the first one's obvious. I'll just repeat what I've said before, and that is our love must be governed by the truth. Our love must be governed by the truth. John is not calling for sloppy agape. Right? How does the lady both obey John's command to love in the truth and Christ's command to love her enemies? John would answer it this way. You want to show love? The the greatest way that you can show love is by pointing that person to Christ and to further truth. And so if that means that you stop holding showing hospitality to them, if you separate from them, help them to see that they are not on the right path and this is not an action that's condoned, that is the most loving thing you could do to them. Showing hospitality to them only brings doctrinal confusion and gives them false assurance that, hey, everything's okay. What you're doing is fine. Here, here's some more provisions. I hope the next city... And the next house greets you and does the same thing. And so if that is true, that our love must be governed by the truth, then we must, number two, abide in the teaching of Christ. Or, in other words, know the truth. If our love, the way that we show hospitality to other people, is governed by what we believe, then we have to know what we believe. Are we susceptible like these men? these false teachers, to going too far. Verse 9. Are we susceptible to that? Or are we fortified? There's nothing that we can deny of the fundamentals of faith. We will hold them forever. Okay, We are all susceptible to that. And so we have to guard ourselves. We have to continually search the Scriptures. We need to continually find out what the Scriptures teach. What is the fundamentals? Or what are the fundamentals of the faith? What is most important? What should we be concerned about? Are we concerned about little minor details, about uh, days and times and and events in the Scriptures? Are we concerned about the fundamentals of the truth? And then I would say that based on that, what we know, we need to be careful that we don't speak on behalf of God where God hasn't spoken this is very easy to do, to speak on behalf of God where He hasn't spoken. Because we want to provide credence or authority to our message. And so sometimes we tell other people what God has said when He hasn't said it. And the only way we, we can avoid doing that is to know what God has said ourselves. We have to make sure that we're learning and growing in the knowledge of the Scripture, both as a church and individually, that we understand what the Scriptures teach. 
And so, in doing so, we will guard ourselves about uh, going too far ourselves and about following other people who will go too far. Okay, this goes back to what Paul had said. If anyone preaches to you another gospel, even me. Okay, so I would say the same thing to you. That if anyone teaches you something outside of the fundamentals of faith, fundamentals of the faith, even me, then you need to reject that. You need to turn from that. And uh, that is really the way that we can guard ourselves in the way that we show hospitality to other people. The way that we can show love to other people. It's always guarded by what we know about the truth and what God is most concerned about. So, I would give you a summary of this entire book by saying that we need to show love to professing believers. Okay, We need to show love maybe better to genuine believers. Be hospitable to those who are abiding in the truth and reject or separate from those who are rejecting the truth. Be hospitable, like the chosen lady was doing, verses 4-6, through to those who are abiding in the truth and those who are outside of it, then reject them. Separate from them. Do not show hospitality, otherwise you condone what they're doing. That is something that we need to consider in our own lives. Who are we... Uh, who are we showing hospitality to? Who are, are we in relationships with as a church? Who are we uh, participating with? Is there any, are there any churches that we should not be participating with because of their rejection of the fundamentals of the truth? And that's something that uh, we have to guard against. So this is a very important message for us that our love should not be a sloppy love, but it should be one that is governed by the truth. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, I pray that You would um, grant clarity where I have uh, been confusing, perhaps. I pray that You would allow Your Spirit to help us to see the, the clarity of this passage and the need for us to show love to others. We certainly shouldn't deny our responsibility to show hospitality to those who are uh, in the truth, but but also that we should recognize that we can't go too far in showing hospitality, and in so doing, uh, take part in or invest in the works that are opposed to you, and help us ultimately to understand that the best way that we can show love to anyone is by pointing them to Jesus Christ, by helping them further their relationship with Him, by helping them avoid the ditches that lead away from Him. We pray that You would give us wisdom as we do so. And this is not something that happens overnight in us individually or as a church, but it's something that requires great diligence as we study to show ourselves approved, workmen who do not need to be ashamed, who, people who are rightly dividing the word truth. We need Your grace as we do that. And we can't do it apart from Your Spirit helping us to... Uh, helping illumine our minds to, to remove our hostility towards the Scriptures. And so we pray that You would allow His work to be, uh, to be evident in our lives and that our greatest goal would, do, would be to see You honored. Sometimes the easiest thing for us to do is to show hospitality to others because we don't want confrontation. We don't want people to think ill of us. And so I pray that You'd help us to have the boldness to stand up when we need to stand up 
and to be hospitable when we need to be hospitable. Give us the strength to obey Your Word and to honor You in doing so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.